Good evening, everybody. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to 105.3 and 107.7 out of the beautiful city of New Orleans, Louisiana. And you're listening to UFO Paranormal Radio Network, otherwise known as uh, United Public Radio Network or just UPRN. Sorry, guys, I'm trying something new with Instagram. I don't know if it's streaming or not. It's showing a check, but it wasn't playing. So we'll see. I guess we'll see if it's working or not. They just added it to StreamYard. So we'll see. I'm going to introduce our amazing guest before she's been on the show many times and I should tell you what show this is it's the angel rock and I'm your host Laura Lee Potman I'm a Canadian spiritual psychic medium crystal Reiki energy healer Akashic Records practitioner spiritual teacher and mentor registered nurse well versed in the paranormal have studied near-death experiences professionally and personally for over 40 years and had one as a toddler and I got something new to add a budding animal communicator and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit just a few how keeping things if you like what you see please like share and subscribe and tell your friends and family also uh, we've got all kinds of new hosts and new shows on the network we on this network we stream multiple shows daily seven days a week and when we're not streaming the archive server is going and this this network's been around for over 25 years and the archive server randomly picks shows to stream so you get to hear great content from over the last 25 years there's something for everybody I see a Facebook user. I'm going to highlight them so just so you know. Um, and I will highlight you. You got a couple options here because you know if you've been to my show or my second show on Thursday nights with my amazing friend and co-host, Angel Channel and Medium David Hansel with the thing at the foot of the bed on Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. But with Facebook, and I know people have done this, but just so you know, you come up as Facebook user and I will highlight you in the left-hand corner on the screen if you're watching. So what you have to do is go to StreamYard.com forward slash Facebook and just give them permission to say yes to using your picture or your name. Or you can put your name just behind the comment or you can stay anonymous if you like. And if you want to join in the conversation, we've got Jonathan Keyworth here. We've got a Facebook user. Um, so if you want to join in, what you need to do is go over to UFO Paranormal Radio and United Public Radio Network. It's one long title on Facebook and YouTube. Also, we're streaming on the Angel Rocker Tribe with Laura, I'm sorry, the Angel Rock with Laura Lee Potvin. That's the name of my group. And um, I'm not streaming yet to my Facebook profile. I have given up with them, but I will share it once we get talking. We're trying Instagram on the Angel Rock. We'll see what happens. I guess I'll see it afterwards. We're on Canada's Most Haunted. Uh, so there's multiple places you can watch. And when you join us and when you're watching, then we can see your comments and you can join in the show. Now, on to my amazing guest here here i just adore her we're friends i met her years ago but we're, we were we were babies when we met right farla yes. <laughs> and uh yeah i met her on my previous well the angel rock but on my previous network and she's been a fan favorite she's incredible she's amazing i'm gonna read you a bit of her bio Varla Venture is the author of Varla Venture's Paranormal uh, Parlor, Ghosts, Seances, and Tales of True Hauntings, along with Fairies, Pukas, and Changelings, a complete guide to the wicked, or sorry, the wild and wicked enchanted realm, and numerous other fantastic books. And she does have a lot of fantastic books regarding the strange and the unusual. And tonight, we're going to be talking things spooky, possibly Yule, winter solstice, all kinds of things. Welcome, Varla. Thanks for the patience with the long intro. Oh, no, I love listening to you. Thank you for having me again. It's always fun to be with you. 
Isn't it much easier now I have a booking calendar? Why I did not oh, think that years ago. I need a booking calendar. <laughs> I that one up and how it yeah. came to be. Uh, one of our, well, she's she's been here for a bit now, uh, negotiating happiness with uh, Adriana Fiorestro. I always say her name, I try to say it properly. She's on Mondays in the daytime. She's got a fantastic show. It's got a lot of business tips, like with social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mom stuff and parenting. It's a great show. And I was a guest on there. And she sent me a link to her booking calendar. And I went, what? Ooh, Calendly. Yeah. <laughs> so organized. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's easy because what happens is like, especially I work with Gavin. I don't know. You might know Gavin, Gavin Lee Davies. He's over in Wales. He's been, I met him from oh, Jason Glenn's yeah. Paranormal Soup. Oh, oh, mm -hmm. okay. Okay. And that name, yes, that name sounds familiar, but well, he, he works a for a years. publishing company and he does PR and he's a dream oh, with, okay. he sends me the best guests, but they're all over from all over the world. So sometimes it involves like 20 emails back and forth without the booking calendar. So it just makes, oh yes. Yeah. It is so nice to have that. Well, it makes mm -hmm. it easy for your guests as well. Well, I just told people, I never thought to before. Most people I have on my show, I don't meet them till five minutes before they come on the show because everything's done by email right so yeah yeah that's always so interesting the the virtual relationships that we cultivate yeah thank god for the internet you have the whole world <laughs> oh it's literally a little magic magic network Okay, you know? so what's going on with you? I have not caught up with you, and I, we're always so busy. So what's been yeah. going on with you? Let me know. What well, you know, I love this time of year, basically from about you know yeah. early October yes. through uh, <laughs> late December. It's just, you know, it's sort of just getting darker and darker. I mean, today, where I live, it was 3 o'clock, and the light had changed. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And then where I'm, you know, getting this glorious sort of, sunset light like around one in the afternoon oh, yeah. it's I find it to be like I, for me it gets me very no I get I get genuinely excited I really do enjoy sort of sort of those longer nights and especially if I have something that I'm working on and I'm happy to say that I do I have a new book um, I knew I it I don't know why that's why I asked you what's <laughs> up with you I can't wait yeah to yeah I'm working on a new book it will be it will not actually be out until 2025 so oh, the manuscript okay. I'm handing in um in spring of 2024 and um you'll I think love the topic it is um uh a collection of fairy and folklore, uh, but uh, exploring specific plants. So it's basically a, you know, a book of um, botanical lore. So it, it's going to be talking about that when I had you on. I've been trying to sell it for quite some time. <laughs> and I did. So Yay. hooray. So um, publisher picked it up and I'm working on that. And then I have a couple of other kind of side um, projects that I'm working on uh, as well. So I started, I finally uh, launched my podcast, which is called Midnight Stories. Yay. And um, I've just got one. I've got another. Um, I realized that I'm probably a little bit too anal retentive about um, making sure I have all my research done rather than just sort of like going on there and winging it. But um, 
I basically am taking topics, uh, paranormal, uh, usually paranormal topics mm -hmm. that I have touched on in my books or, um, you know, kind of talked about and really sort of picking them apart and telling, telling, excuse me, telling the story a little bit more in depth. So um, the very first episode is about the, um, this amazing woman named Ida Craddock. And she was a uh, sort of early um, uh, member of the Theosophical Society. And um, she never, she, she didn't exactly identify as a spiritualist, but mm -hmm. she um, was also a sex educator and she sent out materials to educate. This is in like 1850, I think. You're reading my mind. I'm thinking, was this Victorian nature? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, she was born in the mid 1800s. So wow. she was like 30 something and she was publishing these materials. She was publishing them herself mm -hmm. or or would get, um, small publishers to publish them for her. And there were these little pamphlets. Um, I believe the first one actually came out in like 1899. And these were, um, she had right marital living. And the other one was, um, uh, gosh, what was the other one? It was called The Wedding Night. And these were basically advice. It was advice to, to young women who keep in mind that at the time, you know, bearing an ankle was considered um, lewd. So really like a really buttoned up time period. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that there was very little talk about what would be expected. Um, you know, of course you, you, you were um, a virgin going into your wedding, right? That, that was presumed. I'm sure and so that you had greatly appreciated though, because we still have cultures where sex is taboo mm -hmm. and yeah. where do you go for the answers, right? Yeah. Well, and can you imagine being like, you know, a young girl betrothed to probably an older woman or I mean, an older woman, that would have been nice. An older man. <laughs> choice yeah if you had any choice but the truth is you didn't um and so but you can imagine just how scary that was and so her goal was really to educate young women um but the great thing about her and sort of the whole plot twist with Ida Craddock is that she claimed to she was not married um and this was like explicit advice mind you um definitely explicit for the times somewhat explicit by today's standards only in that you know there's there's words that she uses that are um where you know you're kind of like oh okay she's just going for it um and uh yeah i had to put an explicit warning on my uh on my my podcast I thing there i mean i it, it's not really it's not like lewd necessarily but you know she talks about body parts the clitoris mm -hmm. and such i was thinking yeah totally it's like ooh, the c word you know how the big joke is the, uh, the roadmap to the clitoris <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so she did so she totally um she talked about that she talked about like you know basically advice like you know hey men don't don't get uh drunk and smoke a lot and just be gross on your wedding night like make this a True. nice experience you'll have a, a happy marriage and she was advocating for it for um you know for the longevity of the institution of marriage well she was like persecuted by this ridiculous man um named anthony comstock who um was sort of self-appointed postmaster general and also was the head of the um, the Society for the Suppression of Moral Vice. 
So I know it's like, oh God, you just couldn't do anything around that guy. He didn't even really like swearing. And he was um, probably the worst when there were not people around. Don't you find even today by today's standards, the ones screaming the loudest are, are the ones with some zip drive that, you know, is going to doom them. Yep, absolutely. So um, yeah, so the first episode is all about her and her amazing story. But the, the, um, the plot twist is that her, she claimed to gain all of her knowledge of the marriage bed and all of her knowledge about sex thanks to a holy union with an angelic being named Sof. And um, wow. he writes about this extensively. Um, this plays into her story as far as like being persecuted and being considered an unstable woman. Um, just like her story is just, is one of those things that like, there's just so many moving, like, there's just so many incredibly moving aspects of her story and, um, a lot of layers to it. But anyway, so I, I, I've talked about her a little bit here and there in my books and sometimes in like interviews and stuff, but I, I just, just got really into the um, more of the nitty gritty of the stories. I think it was like 45 minutes, just about idocratic. I want to know um, all about this angel it, because she's I, amazing. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of TV, but my guilty pleasure has always been supernatural and that TV show that was for 15 years. And mm -hmm. I've gone back through some of the episodes that I found kind of, you know, a lot of, especially the monster episodes and even the, you know, the angel and the demon ones. I remember my partner, Del, who, you know, we had quite a bit of issue when the, the angels were made out to be kind of evil and the demons were evil, but they sort of befriended them, right? We were like, what are they trying to say here? But the whole reason yeah. I bring this up, they did an episode when the angel Castiel was in there of a woman who had a holy union, apparently, mm -hmm. with an angel. If you watched it, do you remember it? Because mm -hmm. she had a little. I don't. And somehow she had done a spell to, to basically live forever, this woman, because mm. she was avenging the, I guess, Castiel hundreds of years ago came as a morality squad from heaven as the angels and murdered her husband. Oh, kept alive. She had to give an eyeball. So she always wore um, an iPad oh. to maintain her um, longevity and to see that her daughter was safe and had grown up and what have you. And in the end, um, I forget how it ended, but she didn't obviously end Castiel because he's one of the main characters, but he had changed and evolved and he had admitted how wrong he was. So it's very interesting. Mm. That's what this reminds me of that storyline. I mean, they could have very well been inspired by the mm. this true story of, of hers and I actually learned about her um, reading some of Aleister Crowley's works. So there's mm -hmm. this other fantastic um, kind of, you know, occult connection with her. Um, but she wrote this um, pretty amazing essay called, I believe it, this one is called Heavenly Bridegrooms. So she had her like, you know, I'm she, had, she had her, um, uh, sort of her, like, I want to call it like her, her straight work, right? Like that was her, um, her publications that were about the wedding night. And then she also wrote, um, these really, um, really in-depth essays from a spiritual point of view. And she, she sort of kept them separate because she was intelligent enough to understand that, you know, this needed to be separated from this. Not everybody wanted to know about this, but 
the essay is fantastic because she is based it's basically like the first I, I say like through two pages of it are all examples of unions between you know like whatever off-planet beings like angelic beings mm -hmm. and she cites the bible because she was raised um with religion so she was very knowledgeable of the bible and she cites the bible over and over again and gets all these fantastic examples mm -hmm. of angelic or non-human entities mm -hmm. and human marriages so basically she just like it's like our dissertation it's it's really fabulous and she's I'm a great writer no very though. victorian uh, yes dave and i were just talking my co-host from thursdays how much we love the victorian age and we're doing something with another host on the network you would just love her varla uh carrie lynn shellhorn and she's a fellow canadian too she's got spirit switchboard on fridays oh nice so, nice name spirit switchboard uh, yes. i love that yeah <laughs> i love that <laughs> it's from five sorry six to 8 p.m. Eastern and December 1st she does the 12 years of giving or 12 days mm -hmm. sorry not 12 years 12 days of giving and so she had asked Dave and I what we thought of this and I think it was day 11 you and I sort of let the cat out of the bag I didn't realize she kept kept it like a advent calendar secret the morning of and then get oh. to know what's going to be given away and she gave away some great prizes and then so day 11 you had to be on her page at psychic medium Carrie Lynn Shellhorn and people could enter in there and who and randomly there was something she used some program from from off the uh, net, the internet and it picked the winner so this Friday at, from 6 to 8 p.m David and I and Carrie Lynn and I'm so sorry she's I know she's looks like a lovely lady um she's joining us it was somebody that entered they get to spend two oh. hours with us and oh that's fun talk about paranormal we can talk yeah about oh that's very it was interesting he interesting loves yeah we were talking about it the three of us about how much we all love the victorian age but i gotta ask you this so somebody added facebook user i'm not sure who this is hi sandra sharp hi michelle from uh we got australia she's here for a little bit i know she listens when she's getting ready for work we've got somebody that knows you because they said hey varla but we got lots of facebook users oh because it just says facebook user that's what you were explaining at the beginning that yeah. unless you give permission it just says facebook user yeah. Or just put yeah. your name behind. Give me a code word so I know who you are. <laughs> there's, a note, there's a music note and a happy face. So I don't know if that'll help you or not. And then oh. they said, found it. I'm not sure what they found, but they added it. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, this is going to be a fun night. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but you know, okay. So I've got so many questions because I've done shows before um, with my previous co-host that I knew from the network I was on before. And we've done shows on spectrophilia, which is basically sexual relationship with ghosts, right? Or um, the other thing I've really known a lot about now, whether people believe in demons or not, we'll just say a lower vibrational entity. And I have met people that have told me personally, their experience with something of that nature, that they know just where to touch you, like everything, like incredible, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Hydocratic would agree. That's yeah. what I'm wondering. Yeah. How did she know it was an oh. angel? Uh, I'm just going to take her word for that. <laughs> I'll take her word for that. I mean, whatever she, whatever she wants to call it, it was uh, worked for her. Um, and uh, actually, there was a really hilarious quote about 
um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I, I, I read it in the, in the episode that I recorded, but basically she says that not only did she have sex with this entity, but that it was so loud that the neighbors would complain. <laughs> her part, because I have had people contact me. I would never, that's the one thing I would never ever do is give away anybody's personal details or anything. But I had somebody once contact me and ask me if they could ask me about their quote unquote visions. And this person in particular had um, a near death experience. And I don't think she realized how powerful she was because as she started to talk to me, it was like she was like sending me pictures in my mind mm. and I could tell what was going to happen before it did. And she would call it a vision. And I don't think it was a vision. I think it might have happened while she was sleeping, like an abduction. But she mm. described the individuals and the one of them, I think it was an Arcturian. I ended up finding him on the internet while we're talking, like a picture. She goes, oh my God, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Because I could see the picture she was sending me. Anyway, she said that she was strapped to a gurney and that these three different types of beings were there. And she said, one of them was between my legs. And then I knew right away, right away, right away. And I won't get too graphic because I know there may be family members listening, but basically she said it was the best experience <laughs> in her lifetime. And I already knew she ended up having a baby apparently in these. Oh, and I've heard of this before. Interesting. Of course, physically she did not have the child, but she was asking me like, why is this happening? And what am I feeling? It was really mm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, very interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, you can imagine th there's something and you and I have talked about this before about mm -hmm. like the, the, the terms that we use for things, um, you know, like you said, the word abduction, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it, the, people have been having those kind of experiences for, you know, hundreds of years, mm -hmm. but have used different words for them. So it's always kind of interesting to make those connections with like modern day. And, you know, I can't say for sure what she did or what she didn't do. I mean, I kind of just consider it my duty to tell her story as, as I much as I can. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I can with as much detail. And also the, I think the thing is, and that's, that's sort of what midnight stories is, um, uh, I, I, that's what it's becoming anyway, because the next two episodes are also about these, um, this, these kind of further stories about these incredible women um, during the spiritualist movement. And they're women that I've written about, but I've really kind of uh, unpacked the topic a bit more. And I, I think as a woman in the paranormal, mm -hmm. um, I see other I just, I see beyond kind of the material that's presented to me. And I don't mean I'm making assumptions or I'm um, like channeling anything or anything like that. I just mean when I read someone, an article that calls this woman who um, channeled a novel via the Ouija board, calls it a publicity stunt and calls her jilted. Anytime I see the word jilted, I'm immediately like, okay, there's more to this story because that's a label. That's a, that's a witch hunt generally. Yeah. And so, um, and we all know what happened with the witch hunts, right? Innocent people died. Like that's what happened. Um, so, I mean, there's no, there's no way around that. Witchcraft is not a crime and yeah. people were um, tried, convicted, killed in horrible manners for something that was not actually 
a problem. <laughs> so and I think people were threatened. Shouldn't laugh, but yeah. you know. <laughs> no, but I think people were threatened by it, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a very um with no disrespect to men, but it was a very patriarchal society where you know you had your heads of the church and your heads of cities yeah. and towns and you know and like you the gentleman with ida who made himself basically the morality oh place. yeah oh oh and she okay so i don't want to give the whole like whole story away because i'd love for you to listen to my podcast but she is just i mean it's not my story it's her story she actually has these like fantastic so she ends up she's persecuted by this guy like for years Aww. years like i think seven to nine years i can't remember off the top of my head but it was a really long time and he's repeatedly has her arrested and then eventually he gets he gets her and he gets her for the distribution of lewd materials through the u.s postal service which he had passed a law and convinced Congress to pass mm -hmm. a law about as the, I forget, I think he was the secretary of the uh, postmat postmasters or something. Mm -hmm. So basically he's the head of this um, suppression of moral vice. And then mm -hmm. he's also working with the U S postal service. And he basically sets it up. So distribution of lewd materials is a, a crime punishable by prison and then, meanwhile, he keeps persecuting her, and eventually he's able to actually try her under the Comstock law, which is the um, uh, the law that he, that he's responsible for. And what it, what happened is she would send this, these materials to um, young married couples mm -hmm. or young couple, young young brides to be. She would send them through the mail. That was sort of how you got them. You'd see an advertisement in the back of a magazine, and you'd send fifty cents or a dollar to the PO box. Mm -hmm. So he did a sting operation. Catch! I mean, what a small man! Like he's why aren't you looking for the child molesters? Like Do why are you going after this one? Yeah, honestly, honestly. Mm -hmm. So um, sadly, actually, um, Ida takes her own life because she's basically oh. faced with, but she's persecuted multiple, multiple times and um, does a small stint in like a women's institution and then is actually released. Um, and he continues to persecute her. That now she's basically faced with life in, life in prison, which in those days, life in prison um, was actually for her, it was a um, the ho uh, home for the criminally insane, like, you know, mm -hmm. Blackwell's Island type situation. And I think she had already been in an institution like that. And as history has shown us, these were hardly humane places. And so she took her own life um, because she didn't want to spend the rest of her life in a in an institution. And she left two letters. And one of the letters was a very personal letter to her mother. And the other letter was a letter to the public. And the letter to the public, and this is why she is one of the most remarkable women in history, because even after her death, she spoke the truth and she told the entire public that this man had been persecuting her he had been persecuting her for materials that she did not deem lewd and that she had numerous members of the quote was like you know uh upstanding members of society have purchased this from me and have given me you know um permission to use their names and have told me that they think my, what i'm doing is is positive work 
And then she goes on to basically call him a sadist and describes what a sadist is and that she believes, you know, he is a man who gets pleasure from these thoughts, these like, in other words, you know, he is a pot kettle. <laughs> right? That's usually how yeah. it is. Yeah. Always yeah. Screaming yeah. the loudest, right? And I'm a true believer in what you put out there eventually will find its way back to you. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's sad. I mean, the, her, the, the way her story ends is sad, but it's also remarkable because um, it was a way for her to tell the truth one more time. And that really, um, you know, it stayed. And then actually like years later, Alistair Crowley read Heavenly Bridegrooms. And um, so he had this publication called the Equinox mm -hmm. and it was like pamphlets that he would put out. Like a, it was a journal, basically. It was like an, an occult journal. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he would review occult works. And of mm -hmm. course, at the time, you know, these were all very, super obscure. Like it was mostly all self-published or like booksellers that dealt in esoterica would would publish these things anyway so he got his hands on this and he was he was very moved and actually felt that she had made um genuine divine contact and i believe like um posthumously awarded her like a fourth degree in the oto which is you know i mean you have to it, it takes people years to go through each each degree in the oto it's part of the tradition mm -hmm. um and so he felt that she had obtained knowledge oh. that was um, uh, that she had organically obtained knowledge that people worked years to try and get to that point where they were worthy of receiving that information. Um, so he was yeah. that moved by her story. I'm going to share some of the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was. Them. Oh, go ahead, he was no he he was um he was impressed upon what she said and I think he said while I hardly agree with everything this that she wrote about I hardly agree with everything she wrote she has demonstrated uh knowledge that only an initiated person could obtain in other words someone who is initiated enough to be able to make that contact mm -hmm. um so I mean and that's that's high praise from him that was from him praise. yeah yeah <laughs> That yeah, was. definitely high praise from him. And just kind of, and I think that's one of the ways that her story sort of stayed um, somewhat in the underground. And then a man named Vera Chappelle was, um, uh, he was an absolutely remarkable man and uh, a member of the OTO and did extensive research on Idocratic. And there's actually a book that he put out that includes all of the letters. And he looks at it a little bit more from the occultist point of view so there's a couple books out of that are much more um historian and 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 those are also really good but i love veer's book because he understands the magic that she was talking about and that's i mean magic is almost like a uh too trite of a word in a way you know uh for what she was what she was dealing with she but was definitely ahead of her time and i'm glad oh yeah Oh yeah, she had like um, mm -hmm. she had like an office in Chicago that people would come and they would get sex um, counseling. Uh, you know, I mean, like this. We're talking about like 1890, 
through 1895. Like you said, everybody here. Yes, so yes. Got Michelle uh, from Australia. I think I said hi, but just if you didn't hear it, she's usually, like I said, gets ready for work. She's over there. And she shared a comment. Linda Nelson says hi. She said, can't stay long. Well, we're just glad you popped in. So this is a comment she added. We could probably do a show on spectrophilia. People love talking about it. But I have heard of this before. So we 80% of our audience is audio only. So always read the comments. Right. Yes. Hear. So Michelle added, my girlfriend who lost her husband had a sex dream with him well over a year ago after he passed. And she said it was so real. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, and I'm sure you'll agree you've heard this too. I have heard of many women, especially if they were married for years and they truly seem to have been very deeply in love with their husband or had a very healthy relationship, you know, with sex that uh, I've heard of this happening. Have you heard of it before? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think it's not as um, talked about. Like, I think, you know, you've got your you've already got like sex is a little bit taboo to to have discussions about. And then you add to that um, ghost sex and it really starts, you know, people just definitely don't want to talk about that. But Absolutely. And I, I think just kind of in conjunction with that, um, I do think the dead return uh, to us in our dreams very frequently. Oh, and I think that that's a way that um, psychics, but also non people who maybe don't identify or have not are yet to identify as psychics yeah. can get a lot of messages and can really connect with um, the other world. Because, because we're open, because yeah, we're, we're open, right? Whereas yeah. what we think runs our world, our mind, and really it's our subconscious, higher self, whatever you want to call it, that's always on. So yeah. when the mind is sleeping, you're open. So I always tell people, especially Michelle, thank you for sharing that. You said that yeah, your girlfriend, amazing. your friend, that it was so real. I would bet money that she was definitely experiencing what she felt she was experiencing in the dream and we can you know then you get into astral travel and what we do yeah yeah and and then you also like i mean quite frankly then you you face right right square in the face um you know what is like what is the difference between what we perceive as reality as in the square walls around us and the things that we can physically touch Mm -hmm. and the things we know intrinsically and, and, and why are we so quick to dismiss those messages that we get when we're in that relaxed and open state? Why, why is it that we are, um, you know, I mean, kind of constantly there, there's that constant voice of, of doubt, of reason. I mean, we've sort of structured our society to, um, to prove things all the time. And I'm not opposed to that, right? I mean, science is one of my favorite things, right? I love science Mm -hmm. and I love, I, I love learning, um, uh, about new developments and incredible cures and, and incredible people who have thought in a very innovative fashion. But when you move so far away from trusting instinct and trusting um, those feelings, you're actually kind of suppressing innovation. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying everybody needs to go into a fairy trance, but, you know, it's not going to hurt you. Um, but like to be able to access that, that other 
that other realm, that other realm I of possibility. So let's 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 go back to even Ida, for example. Okay, and before then, you know, you worked hard, you you ate from the ground, you was a lot cleaner, healthier living, but you had a lot more downtime when it was time to rest. And so for people to look at meditation, it's not just for, and I know you know this and many people listening will, but for those that don't, you don't need to sit on top of a mountain in the lotus position for three hours and chant, or if you want to, yeah, by all means, but you don't need to, but we don't know what to do with silence, even in a yeah. conversation, right? People are uncomfortable with silence and feel they've got to fill it in. Whereas if we can learn to quiet the mind, like I think we could back hundreds of years ago, I think we would get a lot more innovation. We'd get a lot more understanding and we would receive a lot more information. Don't you? Oh yeah. And, and just, just to be able to take a break. I mean, this morning I had an appointment and I forgot my phone at home. Oops. And I had time. I had time. If I really wanted to, I could have I could have driven back across town and I could have grabbed my phone. And I thought, why? So I can sit there and look at all the things I can't get done. I'm going and I just this is a this is a I didn't mean to forget my phone. And there's always that anxiety as a mom, right? It's like, oh, I want my child to be able to get a hold of me if they need me. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, there's other people on the emergency contact list. <laughs> so, Everything happens for a reason. But it was so it was so nice because I just did all the things that I had planned to do anyway, but without my phone in my pocket, I had to actually like stay very present in those very menial tasks, going mm -hmm. to the post office and all of that kind of stuff, but it was very like Oh, okay. I wish I had brought a book with me, you know, like, why don't I have my, the novel I've been reading? Um, but yeah, I think just that, that busyness, that busy mindset and not being able to take that break then, you know, and unquiet the mind, mm -hmm. um, is, is very difficult. I know I had like the, one of the most fantastic psychics I've ever met was this man named Jack from new Orleans. Jack, if you're still out there, I still love you. He was studying to be a um, an undertaker, and he was and he worked at a occult shop in San Francisco. And he was very tall and lanky and had flowing hair. And he was such an amazing psychic. And he said, "Oh, you're a psychic. You're fine. All you have to do is just shut it." And this was this was before cell phones, right? So this was like you know, nineteen ninety eight or so when some of us had computers and we all had TVs yeah. and stuff. Um, but we, you know, we had an answering machine and a phone in the wall. And he said, you know, if you if you want to really hone your psychic abilities, just stay. Don't read the paper. Just give yourself I seven don't. days. Don't read the paper. <laughs> don't watch the news. I don't know. not leave your house, go out and do things, but don't rely on those things for your information. See what you notice. And when you start noticing that you do, you do, it's, I mean, there's all kinds of creative practices that talk about this. You know, the you know who does this? First of all, I'm going to stop. Hi, Howie Odell. He's, I'm going to give him a shout out. He's got the Rift Nation Network. David and I have been a guest on the show, The Orion Effect. And he says, Varla Ventura beautiful name so i want to thank you howie <laughs> so, but you know who does that and when 
Del, my partner Del that you know, when we met, we were, well, I've known him my whole life, but when we sort of- I, I'm always kind of expecting Del to just pop in on the side there no, or something. No, <laughs> it's not allowed. It's found out. So um, anyways, we were friends, right? I had no intentions of becoming romantically involved with him in any way. And I remember him explaining to me what he noticed in a room when he walked in. And I said, oh my God, that has to be exhausting to live in your, and I said, wait, you've always thought this way, haven't you? And he said, yeah. I said, you don't know any different. I said, you do realize most people mm -hmm. don't think this way and what it is. He walks into a room and he will notice the pattern on the wallpaper. He will know where all the exits are, where the windows are, who's over there, who's got this, who's like, he just takes it all and, and in the beginning, he used to say to me, did you notice blah, blah, blah? And I'll go, no, where was <laughs> but now I am doing that. And you know what? It's important because you start to pay attention to your surroundings, not from a place of fear, mm -hmm. but it helps you notice a lot more, I think in life, like all the little details. And, and then I think it helps you be better able to read people and, it's been a skill I've learned to develop and I, I can say I'm not sorry about it because we're never yeah. taught that, right? Like you just show up and either you're listening or it's TV you're watching or you go to a movie or what, but you don't take in all the details. Yeah. You don't take in all the details. And then also you're, um, well, I know I have a hurried mindset frequently, I do too. an impatient and hurried mindset. And Mine's sure, that's great. <laughs> it's patient and hurried. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, I think I'm externally patient. Mm -hmm. I can be infinitely patient with children and mm -hmm. people and anyone, you know, but me. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, I actually recently I've been doing some writing workshops in my community, like uh, like you know, um, facilitating writing workshops. Yeah, the last time you were here, weren't you doing it, it with kids? It's yes, and I I finished um, this amazing amazing workshop with teenagers, or um, I guess yeah, they're teenagers. There there were probably some twelve year olds, but they were sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and we did it in October, and we did this sort of like Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, spooky story themed. And these mm -hmm. kids were just, they were just so incredible, so incredible that I really, really enjoyed that. And then I did another couple of courses, um, with really young kids. Um, mm -hmm. one was, one was, a yeah, imagine trying to do writing with kindergartners. It was kindergarten, kindergarten, first and second grade. And you then the third, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was um, it was a big learning experience for me because I love children. Me too. Um, and I went into it with low expectations for actually any writing happening. Mm -hmm. So that was important to, to do because I didn't want, and I also reminded myself, you know, these kids are tiny and they've sat, it was an after school class, so they've sat still all this time. Yeah. And most of the time we ended up like, I just read them stories and they colored and they were really happy. Um, mm -hmm. That was, was really, really adorable. Yeah, that's teaching them the beauty of what can be contained within a book, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, yeah, I mean, in the end, we were doing some kind of story time, so, something storytelling related. Um, but we played some games and I just, I 
constant. I mean, it was a lot. There were a dozen of them and just one me. <laughs> so that was a challenge. It was a lot. That uh, used to happen to me at school, especially my eldest oh my. kids class. I'd be one of the moms that would go and invariably I would get the worst behaved kid always. Well, you, you just seem to know how to handle them. And it's like, oh, dear Lord. Yeah, right. Well, there was one. There was one little boy who um, constantly was introducing murder into the dialogue. We would play these storytelling games and he would introduce murder and like draw Did bloody axes and stuff. I, I never asked him why. I just went with it. I just honored it. I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to it's criticize the nurse you for and that. Me thinking, okay, either this child, I would hope, is and not being judgmental, but I follow true crime too, right? And we right, see, right. We start when they're. Oh, that I, age. honestly, I think he probably has older siblings and watches YouTube videos. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling yeah. maybe true crime in the home or something that he's seen. Yeah. Oh, he told me he watched some kind of zombie show. And he was, and that's, I, I, I was just like, okay, you know, I'm, I didn't make a big deal out of it. And I, I think it was like, let me see if this lady reacts when I bring up murder. And I'm like, wrong tree, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but I also had to be mindful of, you know, the kids who were very young and wanted to write about snowmen and princesses, you know, so and they may not have it was about murder and zombies. <laughs> Yeah. And they'd go like, oh, it died. And then I said, well, here's the thing. It's your, you got the next line in the story, change it. You're the author, change it. You can change the story. But it was really, um, I think like why, why we were kind of getting to this was just that um, talk about needing to be in the present and um, not be hurried, right? So a kid says to you, um, well, I don't want to do that. I just want to lay on the floor. And I'm like, Okay, or as long as you're not you. kicking anyone, like go ahead. You, you know, know go lay on the floor. Mom and me, you could never say the word like stop hating, don't kick, whatever, because <laughs> kids with autism sometimes get stuck on on the uh, kicking and uh. hitting. So I used to have to say, okay, hands down, feet yes. on the floor. Yes. <laughs> I said, I said, there's only yeah. one rule, and that's keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. And that yeah. you know, I said, I don't care if you stand, I don't care if you jump up and yeah. down. I don't care if you dance. Oh, but you know, it was the most um, charming thing is that for 45 minutes, I had 12 kids under the age of, I think the oldest one was probably seven. Mm -hmm. I had them, um, I did like an illuminated manuscript lesson mm -hmm. where yeah. I had them. So illuminated manuscripts are the manuscripts like the book of Kells, right? Where the word, the, there's letters in there that are very intricate and decorated. And then there's drawings around the edge. And so the words aren't just words, they're decorative Art. words. Yeah. And I had them 45 minutes. Those kids made illuminated letters. That's and impressive. It was great. And I said, do you guys know what the word illuminated is? Did you know that word? And they were like, no. And I said, it's basically magic. Let's just go with magic. <laughs> Let's just go with that. I am so impressed. Because it was cute. It was real cute. After a full day of sitting. But speaking of spooky stuff at this time of year, we were going to talk spooky. You said you yeah. got some spooky stuff. Should we talk about it? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, that is what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. I said hi to Sandra too. I want to make sure I said hi to Sandra. Jonathan was there. If I missed you, please just say hi again and we'll we'll shout you up for when I get talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We we want to say hi to everyone. 
Yes, Farla has the spookiest, incredible, most incredible story. She knows I love fairies, but you've done books on vampires and werewolves and yes. mermaids and the strange, the, the unusual. And <laughs> I mean, honestly, like uh, mermaids are among the scariest, right? Because they're. I and mean, can you imagine, like, so we think of mermaids every. I always get booked on shows to do mermaid stuff, like in the summer when Hello, people are when swimming. Uh, the Lorelei's. Yes, yes, yes. In the same river. Yes. About Lorelei. I said Lorelei, but I am named after the mythology of the Lorelei. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which lives in the same river. And if you don't know that story, it's essentially a siren-like, mermaid-like creature mm -hmm. that lives in the river, that the river that flows right through the center of Paris mm -hmm. and is said to um, lure men meaning mankind but especially men um <laughs> to its shores and entice it to go for a swim uh and, and, and then they die yeah and they die and they drown yeah yeah very with beautiful voices thing <laughs> yeah i mean it's very it's 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 a very similar um story to mermaids that idea of uh you know, distracting and having this beautiful enchanting voice. And it's so distracting that you don't realize what you're doing. And then the next thing you know, you run your, your ship aground yeah. or you're, um, you're uh, swept away on the current. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, it's a, it, they, they don't go away. So always, I always think of mermaid. I actually like have like a sort of a early January mermaid moment every year where oh, really? I think, Oh, yes, because I was once in Ireland um, in the very beginning of January and it was it was incredibly cold and I was on a, um, you know, on a ferry out to this island where there were no other people. And it was just this really incredible, uh, very, very quiet time. And but like I was like a, almost like a ghost in the infrastructure of tourism because there was no one there. But this ferry was going out there. And, you know, the things were happening. The bus was going, but there was nobody going there. So it was just me. And um, I, so I always just think like, yeah, of course there's, you know, you think of mermaids in the summertime because that's our time when we're in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we're beating the heat. We want to go swimming. Mm -hmm. But when you start really uh, thinking about it, so they're, they're still there. And in fact, their teeth are sharper and their voices are louder and um, they're more treacherous in the, in the winter when really a few minutes in the water could kill you. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. You know that living by Lake Superior. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. And it's got its own almost Bermuda Triangle in Lake Superior. So Sure does. That is a force to be reckoned with. That lake, it is no wonder that the stories that surround that lake are so rooted in um, treachery and it having its own, its own sort of um, life force and, um, you know, having to really, really be respectful of it. Definitely. It just up the, um, on the Canadian side in Sault Ste. Marie, there's a bunch of picto, um, uh, petroglyphs mm -hmm. and uh, you can kind of climb down and they're along the shore and there's actually a depiction of the Gichigumi monster, which is this like incredible long serpent with like, it's kind of, it's kind of dragon-like, but it's a little bit more flat. That's it's got a lot of spikes. 
that's what the sleeping giant is called the legend of yeah. Nanabishu, but it's also Gichigumi as yeah. too. Yeah. I think it's probably the two different languages, right? It's the Ojibwe and yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Karen um, who I mentioned is from Sault Ste. Marie. If she was oh, here, yeah. I to talk to us about the petroglyphs. She oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I climbed up there one time and checked them out and I was just, there's, there's some like, you know, humans doing some stuff, but then like, yeah. all I remember is this, the serpent who has this spiked tail that it gnashes, it, it, you know, splashes down on the water and creates the storms. So, um, but certainly, okay. So you said something earlier though, that I thought was really interesting because you were talking about the, um, was it Carrie Ann? Carrie Lynn. Carrie Lynn. Yeah. And you just, you just happened to say two things in the same sentence. Oh, did I? <laughs> what was it? No, no, but you, you said you were talking about the 12 days of Christmas, but she, she was calling it 12 days of giving, right? Yep. Then you also said something about a cat. Did I say something about a cat? You did. We if somehow the word cat showed up. I believe. Okay. I think. Okay. I mean, we'll probably we have to go back, right? But but it it made me think, and I thought, oh, it's so funny. I wonder if she knows that we're going to talk about the um, Icelandic <laughs> Christmas cat. I have had the weirdest thing with my my psychic abilities mm. in about the last three months. Like, and whenever I do a show with you. You and I, I know, I know, ask you something, and you'll. I got goosebumps. That's my. It's fun. insane. <laughs> I actually, I'll, um, just, just total side note, but there is a lot of this. Is this is the veil is extraordinarily thin right now. So other people out there listening will completely relate to this and understand. And I'm just here to, I'm just here to support you and say yes. What you think is happening is happening. The mm -hmm. veil is thin. Um, psychic awareness is very high. Uh, there are messages coming from beyond, but there are also messages between the living loved ones. If you're thinking of someone, it's not just because it's the holiday season. It, this is you know, stuff is happening. And an excellent example is, um, you know, rather than throw all my money at Target, I went to my local metaphysical shop to do all my Christmas shopping for my nieces it. and nephews. <laughs> I love it. And I was standing, and, and it's this amazing shop that's near me, and every they have every single crystal is labeled with a beautiful little card. You get to put your glasses on so you can read everything. Yes. <laughs> and um, every little card, and it tells you, it tells you what what the principle of that stone is for. And it's really nice. A lot of places just sort of lay them out and they hand you a card, but this is like very thoughtfully arranged. It's like, it's like dozens of altars arranged in this store. I mean, they don't just have stuff in a pile, you know, everything's very, very carefully arranged and um, purposefully. Yes. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so I had my list and I'd gotten all the things and just like reading and looking and, and then I thought I saw this deck, this particular Oracle deck. And I hope my niece is not listening because um, this will be a Christmas spoiler for her. But I was sitting there. Like your if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I saw this deck and I was like, isn't this the right deck for her? Is this the right deck for her? And at, right when I got to the word tree in the description, someone at the counter, completely different conversation, said tree. So I was like, oh. Well, that's interesting. And then I got a little further and then her name, um, I'll just say her name is Aurora and oh, her name was in the, in the further in the description. And so I thought, Oh, 
all right, that's that's enough for me. But it's little things like that, right? It's I mean, I know you could just say, oh, this random coincidence, of course. Random coincidence is reigning supreme right now. And it's not a coincidence. I would call actually. it serendipity because I do not believe yeah. in coincidence. Yes, serendipity. Right? Okay, so there, our minds just totally melded on the same thing, right? Yeah. It is. It's it's um serendipity. Mm -hmm. So um yeah, I, I think that okay, so Norwegian cat, you said no, is Icelandic. Icelandic. <laughs> yeah, yes. So um Iceland um is I mean if 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 you associate fairies and folklore with Ireland um or Wales or Scotland, of course, of course you do, because that lore is is steeped within the culture. And um, that is where fairy culture comes from in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, Iceland is in and of itself sort of this incredible modern blend of folklore and, um, you know, high intelligence. Mm -hmm. You have major innovations in Iceland in terms of climate change uh, mm -hmm. and how to deal with um, poverty uh, road construction, all these kinds of things. But Iceland is also this incredible place for fairy lore. And um, it's it, anyone who has read up on Icelandic fairy culture will, will recognize that Iceland is the place where you build entire roads around sacred places. You do or not under go the them. ocean. Or, in that, isn't it? I think or it's underneath. Iceland that did it. Did what? They they put the high they put the oh, under yeah under yeah the ocean yeah because you yeah. can't go you can't go through the mountain you can't go like that mm -hmm. so um, in Iceland there is a belief that there is a Christmas witch her name is Grulia okay and she is not a friendly witch at all okay she is very threatening toward children. Uh, she is essentially the epitome of frostbite, right? Like she is treacherous. Okay. And should she catch children doing things they shouldn't be doing or catch them out too late, especially on Christmas Eve, uh, they, they, they will be hunted and they will become food in her cauldron. Oh my so God. you do not want to mess with Grulia. But Grulia, and actually Dale and I, um, I think maybe like three years ago, we did a, a little holiday episode and we talked about the her Yule Lads. So, and you might remember this. Do you remember the Yule Lads? Yeah, so the Yule Lads. So there's Grulia and she's a, um, she's a witch and uh, she has these, basically she's got these 13 kids. Um, these, these, her sons, the Yule lads, and they all sort of go about, they're, they're a little bit more like mayhem and mischief. And each one of them represents a different night. They come, come about in the, during the 12 nights of Christmas and then the day of Christmas. And they're all, they've got all these fantastic, you actually have the list here. Sausage if you want me to read stealer, it. I remember. Yeah. Stealer. Yeah. They've got, there's a sausage stealer. There's a pot liquor. There's a candle snuffer. There's a door slammer. It's like this fantastic list. And they sort of, sort of epitomize the things you wouldn't want children doing at the time, but also common things that were going on. You know, um, there was one that, that steals the yogurt culture that's um, percolating on the counter. Um, 
So, you know, you kind of have the one's a window peeper. That's a little bit creepy. It's like, but, but then again, think of as a parent, right? You don't want anyone peeping in the windows as you're wrapping, you know, surprises. So they all, they all really make sense. Um, so that, those are, those are the Yule lads. And then you also have, um, this Christmas cat. And so the cat, I'm just going to pull my, I, I always like thinking of all the, um, uh, yes. So she also has this, um, let me see what else do I have about Grulia the witch? Yeah. She looks for naughty children to boil in her cauldron. I've got bullet points here. Uh, Grulia looks for naughty children to boil in her cauldron. Um, yeah. So they come down from the mountain and <laughs> I called her part troll, part animal, all mother. <laughs> <laughs> She's got 13 Yule Lads. I do have the list of the Yule Lads here. So I'll okay. I'll 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 uh, make a, a crude attempt because I think they're they're really fun. And okay. they actually started on the 12th of well, so the 12th of December through the 24th, and then the 25th would be the, the 13th. So you've got the 12th of December, we've it's already passed, and that's um stick yastier, and that is the sheep coat clod. And I honestly don't know what that is. <laughs> so his days passed. Gilyagur, and um, that's the Gulligok. And I have a note, actually, the 13th of December, and that that guy preyed on cows. So I don't know the language well enough to to, to figure out that. Um, okay. Stufier, Stubby. Okay. Uh, also known as Stubby. That's the uh, 14th of December, and he's the he's the stubby pan stealer. So he steals the pans off the off the stove. Okay. Pure school liquor. That's the spoon liquor. I think that's self-explanatory. 15th of December. For this, or they're supposed to avoid this? Like, yeah, they, yeah. They come. Watch? They come. Yes, exactly. They come each night, mm -hmm. and so you have to make sure that you've behaved. And that you've done other things like tidied the house and locked the doors and gone to bed on time. Because if you stay up too late, these Yule lads come in and they'll wreak havoc in your house. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is a similar, this is a very similar um, sort of discourse across helpful or any kind of fairy or um, uh, fairy creature that can come into your house has the ability to bestow great treasures and and luck upon you but also has just as much ability to punish you if you have misbehaved or been lazy okay. so you okay. kind of got to meet them halfway right like you want you want a brownie to come and clean your kitchen put the dishes in the sink at least you know rinse okay. them <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Well, it was 17th of December. So that was last night. That's the Asga liquor. He's the bowl liquor. Okay. Yes. I said that. It's how it sounds. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Tonight, we have the Hurus Gealer, which is the door slammer. <laughs> the door started slamming tonight. Teenagers, especially girls. I thought, yeah, I was like, no door slamming. Yeah. Um, I know, right? I've slammed more than I one know. door in my life. Okay. The skier gummer, that's the skier gobbler, with the skier being the Icelandic yogurt. Um, so they they come oh, and um, eat all the yogurt out of the tub. Bjugen, wait, uh, Bjurgen Necker. If anybody out there speaks Icelandic, correct us. You're doing a great um, job because I wouldn't have done it like this. 
I'm sure I've got it wrong. The Burger Nacarer, and that is the sausage swiper. That's yeah, the guy I, you were remembering. I don't know why I remembered that yeah. one. The yeah. sausage Because he sells sausages. You want your sausage. Um, and then you've got that. So that guy is actually the 20th. So be warned. Coming up. And then the Gluga Gagger is the 21st of December. And he's the window peeper. So, you know, draw your curtains that night. Got to pepper that's the door sniffer. Okay, what's the difference between a slammer and a sniffer? Well, one sniffs and one slams. I mean, <laughs> yeah, one sniffs and one slams. Um, the catcher clucker is um the 23rd of December. He is um the meat thief, so he just comes Ooh. and takes the meat right off the hook. Okay. So it's just, I love these names also because they sort of immediately hearken you to this time in which meat is curing on a hook in your kitchen, yeah. you know? <laughs> no Christmas dinner. Yeah. I mean, it's post hunting season, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally on the third, uh, the 13th, we have uh, the 24th of December, we have the Curtis Nicker and that is the candle beggar. So apparently he comes around trying to take all your candles. Now, if you if you overlap this with some of the you know more more Christianized stories, you would you would see that how that you know candles are part of the offering. But even in pagan times, like candles, I've got multiple candles going tonight. Like candles are our way of bringing that hearth right right inside. If you don't have a fire, or even if you do, candle was a way for for light and on these dark nights when it's when it's getting dark at you know three well, especially in iceland don't they have hours of, of darkness they it's don't even get so time. it's so far north i mean they're in the arctic circle yeah like alaska and parts of canada yeah so it's um really important to have reasons to stay inside so the christmas cat um uh basically they the the um the Christmas cat brings new clothing to people at Christmas. Wow. And basically, if if you so if you don't get this, it's basically it's an, it's a tradition in Iceland to receive clothing, some some article of clothing uh, for Christmas. If you don't receive that, the Christmas cat's already on the prowl. And the Christmas cat is kind of just out there, like looking for people who did not get this traditional gift and preying upon them. Uh, basically looking, looking for people who aren't gifting clothing. So I've heard jokes about it. Like, Oh, you know, it means like the Christmas, Christmas cat is looking for naked people. Not really. <laughs> Christmas cat is just looking for anyone who is trying to break tradition because if they do uh, basically they will, um, they will take your, uh, take your life or at least you know bat you around the way a cat would so yeah the moral of the story is don't be caught outside on christmas eve in the nude uh no. yes, if you would and those temperatures if you're working on a sweater get it get it done and uh get it, Where does the get it hygge? is it hygge? it's h or oh -I yeah uh, yeah that's a big thing here yeah. in the stores hi kathy Hanley little no worries yeah, yeah. I think that is a. Um, is it Norwegian? I think it's it's either Nor Norwegian or Swedish. I know that it's Both a, Swedish. You're yeah, right. it's and Swedish. it's basically the art of like winter nesting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it is. It's like 
cuddling down with a, you know, coat, super cozy, cozy fur blanket and a nice big glug of something warm and just sort of like nesting and, and, and being indoors and embracing that, which is a wonderful part of kind of as we come upon the solstice and the longest night of the year, we fight the dark. What night is that? What's that? For people that don't know, when is the longest night of the year? Yes, the longest night of the year, I believe, this year falls on the 20... So the solstice moves slightly because it yeah. wasn't established by a Gregorian calendar. So it moves a little bit each year. So mm -hmm. frequently the solstice is anywhere between the 20th mm -hmm. and the 22nd. And I believe this year it falls on the 21st. I mean, it's usually marked on the 21st, but the actual time of the long night might be a little bit different depending on like what time zone you're in and um uh the the day of the year but we generally mark it on the 21st uh and that is coming up like next mm -hmm. thursday i think and this it's, thursday it's, this coming th oh wait this thursday yes it's this thursday yeah, I I ah! <laughs> lost track of time that's a common so for people for that don't know Marla, what is the solstice and we celebrate it twice a year do we not the solstice yes we celebrate the winter solstice and we celebrate the summer solstice and in between those um, points uh, we have the equinoxes mm -hmm. um, so the solstices are the summer solstice is the longest day of the year and the shortest night so the times when we have the most light and the winter solstice is of course when we have the most darkness so it's literally the longest night of the year and the shortest day uh so of course you know in many places it gets dark by three four in the afternoon uh sometimes earlier depending on how far north you, you were are talking about that right so yeah <laughs> yeah it's great it's great i i mean i i love it and actually the solstice is this point in which it's kind of you know the darkest it's getting as dark as it can possibly get and then from there on out it gets lighter mm -hmm. and this is a time when you know this is all of our traditions of stringing up lights and burning candles and putting candles on trees and making offerings to fairy entities with milk and cookies these all stem from the understanding that it in that darkness we find the light so okay so getting back because i was talking a little bit about this um I think it was on, I was a guest on the show last night at the last minute, but I was also talking to somebody about this off here that it's not just Santa Claus and things like this, right? There's so many different beliefs and, yeah. and characters, if you will, for Christmas, right? Like I have a friend that's from Austria. I don't know how he found me and he's German and he calls me Lorelei. He always calls me that, right? Lorelei. <laughs> call me the way it's spelt in Germany versus yeah. Laura Lee. And he sent me this video and I just love it. I actually posted it in my group. It was last year and he was out and about and there were four and he goes, I know you all call it Krampus. He goes, it's Krampus. And so he took this Krampus. video for live Krampuses uh -huh. saying hi to Lorelei in the video and I have it. Oh, and fun. <laughs> so what do you know about Krampus? Because Krampus, yes, Paris here, right? And he said it's not over in Europe; it's a yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, 
basically throughout throughout the season as we're approaching into kind of you know the, the winter solstice and mm-hmm. and the winter holidays there's a number of rather beastly creatures mm-hmm. that are out there gallivanting about and Krampus is among them he is basically this sort of like horned god really he's this like de- demonic he it was Santa Claus's brother is what he said yeah so in um in Austria and I think also in Germany and other parts of Europe they're sort of the counterpart Krampus and Saint Nicholas are counterparts to one another and they have I think their knights are like corresponding it's like the sixth and the seventh or the fifth and the sixth and you have Krampus Nacht and you have um, Saint Nicholas's night and Saint Nicholas is the one that you know bestows the the good things on the children and rewards people for their hard work and Krampus is the one that takes all the naughty children so today, sort of in, you know, United States and Canada, we have, because we have so many cultures that have meshed together to form, to form our culture, we have, Santa does both of those things, right? He leaves coal in the stocking for the naughty children, and you have to be naughty, you know, you're in the naughty list or the nice list. Santa sort of became our modern Santa embodies both of those but Krampus is basically this um he's covered in fur he's got giant horns somewhat demonic very goaty hooves and he sort of clomps around with chains and a big sack that really long tongue too right he's got a long forked tongue Mm -hmm. and he's got uh chains so he sort of rattles as he walks around and you can hear him coming and he has a sack that he throws all the naughty children in Mm -hmm. and he is not the only kind of terrifying uh creature around that time Another one is this um, sort of witch creature called Berchte, and she's a little bit kind of like the Icelandic witch. Like, she doesn't um, put children in the cauldron. She just sort of, like, sort of slices them apart and then throws them in her sack. Yeah, I mean, she's horrible. She's absolutely horrible. Does Italy have a Christmas witch, too, I thought? Now, Italy has a very charming Christmas witch, La Bafana. And La Bafana is, um, she comes about in January. And okay. she's lovely. She goes from rooftop. She's she's honestly, I think La Bafana is why is is who we should credit for any semblance of the modern Santa Claus that we have today. Because Ooh. La Bafana goes from rooftop to rooftop. She rides her broom mm-hmm. and she bestows, she clears away the bad luck from years prior. And she uses her broom to sweep away all of the last year and welcome in the newness. And she leaves treats for children in their shoes or on their windowsill. And of course, if you've not been good, you don't get a treat or you get, you know, like a rock or something. But she's this lovely Italian Christmas witch. Mm -hmm. And she kind of comes around in early January. And I mean, come on, she goes from rooftop to rooftop. And she's like, and then I have, I have some friends that are German, uh, were raised in Germany and live in the United States now, and they leave their shoes out. They don't hang stockings. They polish their shoes and leave their shoes out. That's the tradition to like leave treats. Yeah. And leave, leave the little treats in the shoes. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting to look at all the different ways that, um, 
all of these magical creatures from different parts of the world have sort of melded together into this, you know, modern day Santa Claus. Um, the Colin Cancero, mm -hmm. they are usually found in Greece and other parts of the Mediterranean. And they're also very Krampus-like and they're sort of demon, um, demons, kind of more just like um, horned God with like a lot of fur and very evil face. So you might call it demon or devil. Um, Krampus is frequently depicted, especially during Victorian times. There's a lot of images of Krampus as sort of a devil. Mm -hmm. um, but the Kalenkanseroi Kal Kal are these Greek like demons that live underground and they come out during the 12 days of Christmas and they are not kind. They are not forgiving and they are quick to um, sort of steal you underground or um, kill you or just thrash everything that you that you love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like life threatening, life threatening creatures out there for sure. So <laughs> that is, that's just mind blowing. It's amazing. Or like when you go through even, but I was thinking about this, right? So we have positive and we have negative beasties and creatures as we do at most times of the year, right? Yeah. Weather yeah. is, you know, spring, fall, winter, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. But my whole point is all around the world, and this is the point I was trying to make, and I'm not trying to crush anybody's you know, belief systems or dreams or whatever. But this is where we got into this last night with Sean. Um, I was on his show. He has a Sunday night show, an hour show. And we were talking about Christmas and December 25th. And that really is not the day Jesus was born. And the roots of this and where it goes, actually, most Christianity, a lot of it is based on paganism. Would you agree? And oh, yes. Yes, I think that... Um, I, I would say that a lot of the significant celebrations are based on, um, pagan traditions yeah. and especially as, um, especially as, you know, uh, sort of the Roman Catholic church was moving, mm -hmm. uh, North, uh, into Europe and you had these traditions of people having big bonfires and then donning animal skins and mm -hmm. dancing around them to ward off the evil and the disease and the sickness and the hunger that comes with Chris with uh with Christmas. <laughs> yeah, real bummer with winter. Yeah, with winter. Mm -hmm. Um the things that come naturally with the season, right? It's not a time of abundance. It's actually a time of scarcity. And so that the, the flip side of that is to gather together, put on those skins, ask right. for help, like don the furs, ask for help, stay warm, look out for one another, burn the Yule log, um, have it gatherings. Is, it's a Yule log. Let's stop there for people. A oh, Yule log. Yes. What is a Yule log? So the Yule log is um, essentially a ritual offering on um, what you would consider Yule, which is traditionally the longest night of the year. And the Yule log is sacred because it is the log, it is the thing that gives you fire and light on the longest night of the year. Very much like at Halloween time, uh, you know, it was at Samhain, it was a tradition to have a bonfire, is a tradition to have a bonfire and take a coal from that bonfire and bring it home to your hearth. Mm 
and that would in, instill sort of, um, you know, good luck and prosperity for the coming months. Uh, so too with the Yule log. So the Yule log is just this beautiful way of honoring uh, the the original tradition of having a bonfire, basically, like having a community bonfire and really making an offering to the darkness, burning something into the light. If you don't have a fireplace and you don't have a Yule log, a matchstick will do, right? Light a candle and think of that matchstick as it's it's the connection with wood um, uh, and, and trees, really that you're kind of saying thank you for growing, for being, you know, for falling, for being harvested, and for then in turn um, being burned and giving us light, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's all part of the, and that is a very, you know, it's a very pagan, very druidic kind of approach. You know, anytime you're invoking the spirits of the trees or nature, you're um you're dabbling in witchcraft right <laughs> but and then if i if i remember correctly even with december 25th and i was doing i did a bit of research but you guys if you got questions farla is the person to ask with the amount of research and knowledge she has but isn't it based because somebody wanted to know last night the what planet and i thought it was saturn and based on the roots into saturnalia could i be right oh well so you have saturnalia which is another celebration that was in uh, around this time of year and that was another sort of like wild raucous um sort of uh original i i, I believe the uh romans like the romans practiced mm -hmm. saturnalia um so the the og romans right before the catholic the, um, you know, spread of before Christianity. Constantine, before Constantine yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah, happened. before Constantine came rolling in on his high horse. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. Um, and, and we're not so, talking to Keanu Reeves, Constantine. <laughs> but Saturnalia was absolutely, was another time of just abandon. It was a, a time of sort of, it was like the, it was like the burning man of its day, right? It was like anybody could come. It could be senators. It could be, you know, um, peasants. And they would come and they would participate in this celebration. They would make sacrifices to Saturn, who is father time who is also akin to Odin, who is also akin to Santa Claus, right? Big bearded guy, kind of in control of time, lots of magical abilities. Mm -hmm. And um, it would be a time to just sort of like rebel against that. And I think you can look at any sort of, I mean, healthy rebellion is the backbone to any functioning society. Rebellion sure. against the things you're afraid of, having some kind of outlet. When you don't have an outlet, that's when, you know, wars ensue, essentially, right? So the, the, the ancient Romans knew this. And um, as a way of, this was very common, and it's, it's, it's widely seen uh, through many of what we still practice today as our, like, sort of, like, uh, you know, calendar holidays. But it was very common to take a celebration. I mean, if you were trying to conquer someone and convert them to your beliefs, you're not going to come in and say, everything you know is wrong. You're going to say, I think you have the story a little wrong, 
but why don't you come in at the same time that you always come in and we'll give you the same foods that you've always eaten. But instead of lighting your candle or lighting your bonfire, you're going to come in and light a candle in church and you're going to hear what we have to say. And we're going to give you all this like food for free. And, you know, we're going to give you all these perks. So it's much smarter to overlap with something that people are already celebrating than try and invent a whole new holiday, right? So you just get in on there and you kind of start planting the seed and then year after year and generation after generation, it becomes um, immersed in the culture, but you still have some of those traditional beliefs, um, you know, Christmas trees among them. That makes sense though for people because that's the fastest, basically it is the fastest and easiest way to affect change, right? Exactly what you said, make a change a little bit here, next year change a little bit more, a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I believe that it really only takes about a generation and a half to affect a major change mm -hmm. because if people don't learn what the true history is, for example, and they are told something as a small child, they grow up, now you've had their children, their children are into their teens or late teens, meaning a generation and a half, right? The history is can be completely changed. Mm -hmm. And especially we didn't have the internet and stuff. How could you look back, right? And see what mm -hmm. the truth was. I'm just right, gonna, right. You're just uh, trusting people's words. <laughs> I'm going to read Kathy Hanley Little's comment. Oh, yeah, this is beautiful. Then, uh, yeah, and then we can, as about the Christmas tree, why we use the Christmas tree. Uh, Celtics or Druids would bring a pine tree in the house and put food in the tree for the wee people. It was said they did this for the wee people to stay warm on cold nights. That's beautiful, yeah. Kathy. What do you think? Very beautiful. Yes, the tradition of the Christmas tree totally bringing in the nature from outside bringing it in the house and making sort of a sacrifice it also was often done outside um, before it was even brought into the house you would put candles and you'd put lights and you'd put decorations and you would put you know offerings because you weren't just leaving food for the birds or you know whatever animals were out there scrounging in the winter but you were also leaving offerings to the um yeah the wee folk the fairy folk the the um the good people and these would in turn look out for you so if disease or something evil was tromping your way and coming towards your house they would have the ability to either warn you or um you know, uh, ward it off. Yeah, ward it off. Yeah, and that's uh, honestly like um, you may have heard of Tom Tees or um, mm -hmm. Nisi's, and those are those little sort of um, they're um, the Nisi, I believe, are Finnish, and the Tom Tees are um, are Swedish, but they're kind of very similar. They're little sort of gnome-like creatures, and a lot of times you see renditions of them. <laughs> well, a lot of times you see renditions of them, and they're um, they're like just like a log they're a log. There you go. And they have a, a decorated, you know, they have a hat and you set them on your, um, on your doorstep and they ward off any, um, evils in the dark of night. And they, they welcome in, um, the, the good wishes. Well, my co-host David and I, I guess I've heard them referred to overseas as gronks. I have been in love with gronks or gnomes. For oh, the they're the best. David too. Like we send pictures all the time to each other. We send, we don't get a chance to talk all week. We're so busy, right? So Thursday's our day, show day. So we love cats. So we send each other cat videos all the time and stuff <laughs> or Bronx, or, or I guess I call them gnomes. Yeah. And I, every season, like I've got homemade wreaths with gnomes. I've got like, there's 
they're wonderful. Gnomes, I'm gonna yeah, yeah, and they're and and you look at them. They've got the red hat and they've got the beard, and you see this. Just this connection know. with how the images of what we look of, uh, um, think of today as Santa Claus, you know, um, mm -hmm. we, we have those similarities. Although at one time Santa Claus was depicted, you know, in Finland, uh, Santa was always in, in blue robes. And I've been to a couple of Finnish Christmas celebrations and Santa comes in with a broom, with a broom. Which is very interesting. Well, Del and, asked about blue earlier, and I didn't want to get off on a tangent off topic, but maybe we can with the blue. Yeah, but they're saying, well, ask her about blue. He did. <laughs> and he was in here, and I'm going, no, no. That's why I saw you looking on screen. I was like, Del's interrupting. Yeah, she was. I was like, get out. Del. <laughs> She's mine tonight. <laughs> we, well, when we were on the same night, we, he's not on the network anymore, but when he was, he uh, we used to put together a three-hour show with you. Yeah, yeah, it was just you. Mm -hmm. join in yeah yeah so anyways the blue so they come in with blue robes because this is what's been coming up because i've mentioned it before i work with two very close friends and we connect the spirit and we connect with some beings from the other side involved a lot with science and things like that they give us a lot of information it's 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 a long story but it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle we don't know why what's yeah. coming with it or what but this year is supposed to be very powerful and very interesting with it especially being the year of the dragon in chinese you know i guess uh astrology if you want to call it that mm -hmm, of course mm -hmm. so um but the color blue keeps coming up oh interesting blue. Um, Have you noticed my room is blue? This is like the bluest room. In, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not being conspiratorial or anything, but if say something was using D period, E period, W period, I'll be careful what I say because we're on YouTube. It can affect every color except blue. Hmm. If it's blue, it will not burn. And we're seeing blue like blue tooth. There's all kinds of blue coming in. So I know why he asked about blue. And now you're mentioning about Finland. The, the blue robes, Santa the blue robes of Santa Claus. Yes, he wasn't always depicted in um, in red. In fact, frequently it would be in these gorgeous cloaks of blue, which to me just invoke the night sky that you see more of in the winter time you see more of this beautiful deep midnight sky and you see more stars and i always think of um honestly there's imagery of mother mary that's very similar she's associated uh -huh. with blue mm -hmm. and frequently with a veil or a um sort of scarf of dark blue covered in stars um something that you know just just another connection there of Blue is a primary color too. You can't make it. It's yellow, red. It just is. Yes. I'm and it's naturally occurring in nature, right? So naturally occurring in nature, but yeah, it, it's, it's naturally occurring. Um, and we know it's a healing color. We know that it has certain kind of um, attributes that bring on a feeling of healing. Or yeah. water. We're mostly water. I just thought of too, right? Water's depicted many times as a blue color. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and honestly, like, and you know, from being near Lake Superior, it can change. There's so many shades of blue, but they're all blue. There's a blue gray. There's a deep blue. There's a uh, brilliant blue. There's a cerulean blue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lots and, lots, and you're wearing blue eyeshadow. 
actually, um, Kevin or Zeus and Dragon, he said, blue beings come to mind. He, oh, yeah. <laughs> and Archangel Michael is depicted in blue. Kathy oh, says, very oh, true. Oh, actually, that's an excellent point. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, yeah, I, I was amazed uh, to see a Santa in blue. Sometimes he's also depicted in purple. Um, so those are, you know, that you, you can see that now. I think that that is associated. Purple is a color that is associated with royalty. And that's for one very specific plant-based reason. Um, the, the plants that you needed to actually create the color purple, it's a difficult color to create mm -hmm. in a natural, in a dye, in a non-synthetic dye. And so to get that color and actually color and get it enough in, in fabric to, to stay, to get that really rich royal color uh, was very extravagant. And so there was a period of time in which only royalty had that color purple. Um, but that's a really, I yeah. Believe it. Yeah. Well, what Kaysen brought up a good point here. He's over in Sri Lanka and he says, I've also heard that Santa Claus is a symbolism to psilocybin mushrooms, meaning the hallucinogenic for some people, that if you're not sure what that means. And he said bright red and white. And we do see this oh. associated with the gnomes and fairies and stuff. Have you heard anything? Right. So this, I think what I think maybe what he's thinking of or what comes to mind for me are the Amanita mascara, which are the, the sort of the toadstools. Psilocybin mushrooms aren't necessarily toadstools. Yeah, they there are a lot of different hallucinogens. There's a lot of mushrooms. If you lick them, strange things ensue and often death. So I'm not going to advocate for that. However, um, I do, I do understand what he's saying. The, um, the red and white, um, the toadstools, right? Those things that we see the yeah. Smurf house, the, the, we see gnomes depicted with that. Mm -hmm. And they certainly were something that unless you had heavy snowfall, you would see, you know, you do see a lot of mushrooms this time of year. Um, and so you certainly did see them. Uh, I have read some very interesting connections between the colors of red and white. Um, also having to do with the red and white that we look at. Um, during this time of year, I think ultimately, um, biologically speaking, or like botanically speaking, mm -hmm. you there you would not see a amanita mushroom after snowfall unless it was sort of immediately after. Mm -hmm. uh, but you will see red holly berries. You will yeah. see red twig dogwood. And also everything scarcer. So if there is something red in the forest, it could be a mushroom. Not It doesn't snow everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, it, you would see that and it would stand out and there wouldn't be many other colors this time of year, right? It's like red, white, and, and green or brown are pretty much what you get. You don't get all the brilliance of um, pinks and, and blues and all of those colors that come up in purples in the in the springtime. Uh, but I've heard that and I've heard some um, very interesting theories about the ingestion of toadstools and those leading to the idea of um, sort of some kind of magical guy that goes from house to house, but utterly rooted in reality in, in a way, because um, there are many examples of people looking to sort of, again, blame witches uh, for, and that, that the, the 12 nights of Christmas 
are not simply holy nights. They are times of high magic. And a lot of things can take place during this time. Um, so for example, you could go to your well to pull water anytime during the 12 days but if and, and get your beautiful fresh water. But if you should be out there on midnight uh, on Christmas Eve, you will pull blood from your well. Ooh. Your animals, you may hear animals talking. And I actually have a story in one of my books, the fairy Puka and Changeling book, uh, where a guy is basically like walking home a little too late on Christmas Eve. And I read gets, this when I remember. He it. gets caught unawares and he hears his animals in the stable speaking. Mm -hmm. And it's very disturbing what they have to say. I mean, essentially it's like animal farm. They are plotting against the humans. They are not particularly happy with their treatment. So all kinds of high magic and in fact, quite, quite a few, um, you know, it, it's said that that's the night, as we say with Samhain, it's a night when witches are out there cavorting with the devil. But the witches don't cavort with the devil. They just hang out with all the nature spirits. Yeah. So um, those nature spirits include trolls. And of course, we also have that association with mushrooms and witches, toadstools and witchcraft, toadstools mm -hmm. making you believe that you can fly, toadstools making you believe that you can see people flying. We know today that poison is a huge part of the witch craze during the 1600s in Europe. We know that people were ingesting um, rye with ergot, which is a kind of fungus, which causes hallucinations. And they didn't realize that that was happening. So they would like look out and, you know, you see something out of the corner of your eye and you're just like, oh, that's Mary Jane from down the road. And she's <laughs> cavorting. She's out there cavorting with the goat. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I mean, all like mayhem ensues, right? Mm -hmm. And there's werewolves and vampires that are, that are coming through. And, you know, under the cloak of darkness, who's to say what's out there? And so it's said that during these um, 12 nights of Christmas, it's not just a time of, you know, piousness and, or, or giving or any of those things, but it's a time when uh, magic and again, the veil is very thin. Magic is um, at an all time high. Uh, it's an excellent time for rituals uh, and, and that, you know, to be very careful uh, who you're talking to late at night, because it could be, you know, some sort of uh, demonic entity in disguise. If you're lucky. Hi, Marshall. Marshall Martin's here. One of our regulars, too. So welcome. Um, what I was going to say, and we're almost out of time. I hate I know. this. I'm you gonna said this was going to happen. Here. I'm you said this is going to happen, and here we are. Yeah, <laughs> it always does. But we'll have her back, and you guys, I will try and warn you. Bring your questions because we try. I usually do, and when Del was doing this too, have you at least, if we can, at least, you know, with the seasons changing, because she knows so yeah, it's much, Charlie. You do. But what I was going to add quickly: twelve is a magical number. Obviously, we had twelve oh, apostles. Wow. You know, twelve days of Christmas. And the one thing I was going to add: I was just talking to my youngest son, Justin. He's the one that has severe autism 
And I always say we have the magic of Christmas every year because he still plays with toys. He'll be yeah. in March and all the, all the traditions and believing in Santa and we got to put the Santa key out because we don't have a chimney and, you know, things oh, like I that. Oh, I love that. I'm making them. Actually, I was just working on one before we went live. I made a mold of our oh, Santa key cool. and I'm hand painting them. So we'll see how they work out. But what I was going to I add, love that. Oh, that's a beautiful. I've. That's beautiful. There's a beautiful movie out there. And I was asking of him if he remembered it and he didn't. And it's called Annabelle's Wish. And it talks about the magic of Christmas when the mm. animals have their voice for one night. Oh, on yeah. Yes. The one night. Yes. Well, I mean, that's that's amazing because um, there was a man uh, named uh, sort of he there's a book. It was, I believe, published in 1912 and it was called. Christmas traditions, pagan and Christian. Ooh. And um, this guy, Clement, I think it was Clement Miles, wrote it. And it's really interesting. It's a little dusty uh, in terms of language. It was written in 1912 by a man educated in the um, Victorian era. So it's a bit dusty, but it's fascinating because he kind of just reports on all of these traditions and some of them are pretty outrageous and some of them are just very he, he draws a lot of parallels and it's it just interesting that somebody was kind of really doing that in you know 1912 sitting there thinking like back then well right because back then time. i want to give you time for people to find you and oh yeah 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 okay yeah, okay where can they find you where can they find your podcast your books and please i know i'm gonna hit you up again we'll we'll use my booking calendar and hopefully i can have her come back oh, just in the new year you guys, so she can yes. talk more mm-hmm Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, so my website is varlaventura.net. Mm -hmm. Um, my podcast is called midnight stories and it's currently available everywhere. You can get a podcast except Apple because I haven't cracked the Apple code yet. Um, but I'll be working on that. You can, so basically, you know, you can go on iHeartRadio and Spotify and all those places and get it. Mm -hmm. I think Google play Apple just has some things you have to do and it's a lot of logging in and unlogging and submitting yeah. and um you know i just sort of get lost in that rabbit warren and then i i give up and i just go have a drink honestly so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah goal get on apple Podcasts because that's where i consume a lot of my podcasts so i want to be on there i'm just um lagging but you can find that midnight stories i've got another one that should be there's one on there there should be one forthcoming in the next um couple of days i've submitted it and then um yeah what else uh just appearing on i'm, I'm on spaced out radio once a month um on coast to coast occasionally mm -hmm. and i hope actually 2024 brings me a couple of um IRL engagements um you know i i have a couple of cons i'm trying to attend um paracons and such like that so um i can meet people in real life and and um yeah so you can just we find me my together. books are in print you can find them <laughs> in all the places they are small and make excellent stocking stuffers so and they're great books you guys i have read some of them the first time i had you on you sent me a couple of your books and yeah. I read them. that was years yeah. ago when oh we my were gosh i know i know well thank you so much for having me all these years it's wonderful oh i just adore you i oh, i have same. a few people that are audience 
audience favorites and you are one. One more other person and they'll ask me, when are you having this person back? Or I get lots of messages. Oh, that's, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. You don't always hear that, but that's, that's really nice. And I always, you're easy to talk to and yeah, we always run out of time. Love so. you in our house, you know we do. So I, I love you guys too. I want to thank you guys so much for being here, your kind comments, your questions. I want to remind you that I will be back here on Thursday with David Hansel with The Thing at the Foot of the Bed, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm sure we're going to be talking something spooky about holidays because we're getting close. Also, don't forget, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Spirit Switchboard with Carrie Lynn Shellhorn and the winner of her 12 Days of Giving. We're hanging out with the lucky winner and you guys, please join us. We're going to be talking all things spooky, scary. You guys can ask questions. I think Carrie Lynn's got a whole bunch of stuff booked. So make sure to check that out this coming Friday. And also next Monday, I cannot believe this time is speeding up. It is Christmas time. So I have decided I am doing a show live for anybody that maybe doesn't want to watch Christmas programming. Maybe you're feeling a little bit alone for whatever reason. Maybe you don't celebrate at this time of year. You've got a different holiday you do. That's okay. Come hang out with me on the Interrock next week. It's going to be an open show. So we're talking whatever you guys all want to talk. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm also doing one January 1st too. So uh, those two shows are the only ones I have open, I believe, till almost sometime in April. I still have some spots in March though. So I guess send you my booking calendar. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always nice to book around St. Patrick's day. We can get it. I know. And I yeah. think I have it open, <laughs> so we'll do that. You guys, if you're enjoying the paranormal, please stay tuned because you got Philip and Julia Syracuse right up after this with the horsefly chronicles. Love you guys so much. Love you, Varla. Love Happy, you holidays. Happy holidays. And uh, we will see you guys on Thursday. Okay. Thanks again for everybody hanging out with us. We appreciate it.